with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Mark Eversley is the new general manager for the Chicago Bulls. We turn to Paul Jones, one of the voices of the Toronto Raptors, uh, because Eversley, not only from the Sixers, but also spent time with the Raptors. We turn to Paul and he joins me here on ESPN 1000. Paul, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Always love to be on with you, Jay. Always. I want to get your thoughts on on Mark Eversley, uh, the new GM of the Bulls. You know, before his time with Philly, he's spent a lot of time with the Raptors. What are your memories of Mark with the organization? Well, I go back even further than that, uh, Jay, Jonathan. I go back even further than that to Mark Eversley being um, a very, very good uh, high school player and then small college player. Um, uh, He went to high school uh, just west of the city uh, to downtown and was always a basketball guy. His his time, he then went on to work at Nike and was instrumental in a lot of things going on there uh, before he, he kind of, you know, jumped into the front office world. And he was here with Brian Colangelo. So uh, it was at a time when the Raptors were undergoing um, a bit of a resurgence. Uh, Brian Colangelo came in in his first year. They got the number one pick. Uh, Sam Mitchell was coach of the year. They made the playoffs for the first time in five, six years, um, and things took off. And, uh, you know, while Brian Klein spearheading a lot of that, Mark Eversley and Masai Ujiri uh, were a big part of that team. So um, Mark was, uh, he was, he was, as I said, instrumental in helping turn things around here in Toronto. And then, you know, as you do, you move around to get experience. He goes to Washington, he goes to Philadelphia again with Brian Colangelo before, um, you know, they made the change in, in the front office there. So he, he's been around. I'm, I'm really, it's really great to see a Toronto kid uh, and, and, and a minority for, let's be frank, to work his way up and pay his dues and, and get his shot at, at the big time. Yes, no question. Um, uh, you mentioned his work for Nike, work, working with Nike for a decade. How important is that, Paul, uh, for a relationship with players uh, and organizations as a GM? Uh, yeah, I think you said it in the key word there, Jonathan, is is relationships. Um, you know, you get to know these guys and you, and you get to know their uh, professional needs and professional wants, but you also get to know them a little bit on a personal level. You know, there's travel, there's, um, you know, there's meeting, especially around all the marketing and when guys be big names and they have a shoe out or, you know, a brand in that sense uh, associated with Nike. So I, I think it's all about relationships. And Mark, you know, his 10 years with Nike was was probably pretty pretty good in terms of uh, setting a foundation for that. And um, I mean, that's what it is now. I mean, he's a GM now. He's going to have those critical relationships with uh, other people in the front office, with head coaches, assistant coaches, um, you know, people on the business side of, of the Bulls organization and and, you know, ultimately with the players in terms of, uh, you know, getting contracts done and all of that. I mean, uh, you know, you're in Chicago. Everybody's watching the last dance right now. And, you know, as as great as the team was, the at times toxic relationship between, you know, uh, the late, you know, Jerry Krause and some of the players, uh, I think eventually broke that team up and, and egos got in the way. So I, I really think it's 
important to have those relationships. And, and uh, Mark is off to a good start with all his experience right now between Nike, the Raptors, the Wizards, and the Sixers. Paul Jones, the veteran voice of the Toronto Raptors with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. I've been asked a lot of people, Paul, about this documentary, The Last Dance. And because it's not a drama as much as it is, great storytelling of what really happened behind the scenes. How much could this documentary help or hurt the current Bulls based on the curtain being drawn back? Well, I, I, you know, I don't I don't think it's going to hurt. I mean, it's a, I think it's a, it's a reflective and retrospective look back at that time uh, with a great team that people wanted to know about because let's face it everybody was trying to get close to them and I was fortunate enough to um, you know call some games in the early years of the Raptors the Raptors were two or three years old when all of this was going on and you know I got to call some of those games and with my brother Mark doing his first finals at 92 uh, that was championship number two in the first of the, the trilogies for the three peats. Mm-hmm. I happen to be around and I, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to hurt the team. I, I, you know, um, that era's gone and we're in, we're in a, a, a new time right now. They just turned over the management team and a lot of people will look at them, but you know, the current management team, all they have to do is say, look, that wasn't us, you know, and it was like when Brian Colangelo came to Toronto. Look, I know there was the fans have had hardships and, and, you know, there hasn't been any, playoff games for a while but we're starting from this point we're not going to look back we're going to look forward from this point and i think that's what the bulls have to to focus on um you know i don't i don't don't think it really has too much to do in terms of hurting the current organization heck they even had one of their guys as a player i mean john paxton was in there for a long time trying to trying to get things going so um you know when i look back i mean the documentary is great but i I don't think it'll have that much at least to me not that much impact on the current situation paul with the hire of eversley what does this do for for um uh, women or men of color trying to get positions to be a general manager. This is a bone of contention with many uh, after the Connor, Connor Chauvis hire, just wondering who the Bulls would talk to. There's some names there from the past that were head scratchers. So how much is Eversley being with the Bulls help the future? I, I think it gives them a fresh new perspective. It really, really does. And, and you know, it's interesting in the in the last dance, and especially today a lot featured on ESPN on First Take on on Get Up. Uh, there were conversations with Isaiah Thomas, a Chicago kid, and you know, one of the leaders of that the Pistons group, the Bad Boys, and he talked about how um, you know Rodman, uh, Sally, James Edwards went from Detroit to Chicago, and they brought um, you know the storytelling they brought cultural and and uh, you know tactical intelligence with them and i look at mark eversley he's new uh it's great that he's you know uh you know a person of color uh he'll become a role model uh he'll hopefully you know hire and i don't mean this in the wrong way i don't want people to take this the wrong way he'll he will hopefully hire the best people and if they are minorities and if there's a choice between a a minority hire or somebody else who's majority culture and you know it's it's gonna kind of uh it's gonna kind of help um in terms of equity then make the minority higher the same way the bulls made the minority higher 
you know, for him, first and foremost, get the best person. And um, I, I just think it's 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 wonderful. It gives it gives hope, right? You're either selling wins or you're selling hope, and it gives gives hope to the bulls. It gives hope to uh, women, uh, people of color, minorities that want to be part of this great game and and have the know how and are just waiting for their opportunity. Paul, you and I were live tweeting uh, the last dance on Sunday night, watching episodes three and four. And I commented that the journey for Jordan in those early days, you know, the kind of hazy film, the non-HD film, watching Jordan try to get through the process, trying to get past Doherty and Elo, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, just to get to Detroit. I think the journey is more interesting than as interesting as the uh, six championships because it shows, I think, a younger generation that, yeah, you know, in this instant gratification society, sorry, James Harden and and Paul George and, and certain players that haven't won the NBA championship yet, it's just not instant. You just can't get it just because you'd like for them to win the championship. I think it, it tells a story of how difficult it is to actually be able to get to the mountaintop and what Jordan had to go through. I agree with you, Jonathan. I agree 100%. And uh, it just seems like in this generation, everybody wants it right away. They want it. They want it yesterday. You know, um, the, the 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 idea, um, the concept of paying your dues and working for it sometimes is lost. And um, I mean, I just look at, you know, we were talking the other day about you know the whole comparison with Jordan and all the other great players of of eras previous and and, and particularly uh, eras past and and the generation that we're in. You know, Michael worked for that, and he didn't. He didn't leave Chicago and suddenly start to. I mean, it wasn't that way in that time period. But he didn't leave Chicago and start to suddenly recruit his own super team so he could win. And you know, I look at his six championships. He was the main guy in every one. And when you look at people that have won multiple championships, Jonathan. I mean, and I'm talking big names: Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, Wade. Um, Duncan, how many of them can you say he was the main guy by far, mm-hmm. by a by a by a great margin? I mean, Shaq had Kobe, Kobe had Shaq, Garnett had Pierce, Pierce had Ray Allen. Um, like the, the guys, you know, Wade had Shaq, LeBron had Wade. Like there, there's, and when you look at it, Michael had Scotty, but. He wasn't Scotty till after they started to win. And you can see, especially in three and four episodes, three and four of The Last Dance, how Michael made Scotty. He stayed in Chicago and he pushed him and he made Scotty. Scotty became a great player, but it was because of a lot of what Michael did. And, and to me, Michael's six championships, six championships, six finals MVPs, never lost when he got to you know, the big dance, to me, that says something about him. And I'm not discrediting Shaq or anybody else. I mean, I look at Isaiah Thomas's championship. It was Isaiah. He was the leader by far and away. And he made those other guys better to go along with him in winning championships. So, um, yeah, I, I give Michael's championships in Toronto, in, uh, in Chicago, uh, even here from Toronto, watching from Toronto, I give them special notation. Paul, is there is there some uh, secret footage of you doing a red cup wiggle like Krause did on the documentary for the Raptors? Do you, can we find that somewhere? Do you have a red cup wiggle like like I, like Krause? I, 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 I don't know. It, it wasn't. You know what? Unfortunately, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, it was not a plane. It was after the Raptors. 
there's one and and, and my friends know know me as notoriously uh a guy who's a non-drinker but every so often when the comet comes by you got to celebrate so there is a <laughs> there is a picture of me and and we were talking about the red cup wiggle i may put it up just just because of you jonathan i may put it up a picture of me in a in a in an establishment last year in san francisco with a a, a tiny glass to to my lips to celebrate the fact that you know i've been there since day one with the raptors and and they finally got their hands on the larry o'brien trophy <laughs> well it did it did, just to watch Kraus there right behind Pippen. <laughs> I mean, it gave me so much joy, Paul, because yes. because Kraus, as, I, as I've known Kraus, just, you know, just stoic and just businesslike. And just to have him, you know, bring his tie down just to skew just a little bit for him to just wiggle around on the plane and the, the, the team going saying, go, Jerry, as he does some sort of hybrid running man type of wiggle. <laughs> I just—it's it, just great that he was able to enjoy the moment and not be so businesslike, you know. Somebody put on Twitter: Mark Madsen now is off the hook. Now is he? Is he now the, now the, now the, the, do you call it the Red Cup week from Krause's out? But you know, Jonathan, it brings to mind too. We talk about the money and how much guys make for playing a game that they love, and and that's something that's always dawned on me when you actually win, when you actually get to the top of the mountain. It's not about the money. The money is, you know, you, as Dennis Rodman said, you know, you play for free. The money is for putting up with the BS. And and when it was like last year when the Raptors won, to see the pure, unadulterated joy of winning. And that and that's what I saw in that from Jerry Krause, as you said, stoic and businesslike. And, and, and you know, you finally get to that point where you're you're working to and, and all the emotion pours out. And I, th- I think it was terrific. And I'm glad people got at least to see a little bit of that side of them. Lastly, uh, Paul, and I appreciate your phone, your, your thoughts. I want to get your thoughts about um, Eversley, what he has to deal with. Uh, Connor Chauvis, as well as Eversley, with this Bulls team. It's a young basketball team. Um, but Zach Levine, is, I think, is a terrific player. I just, it, It's hard for me to look at, at Levine on this team and believe that the Bulls can flourish. I think he could be part of it, but I think the Bulls need much more. What, what are some of the, the uphill climbs uh, that uh, Eversley has to deal with here with this roster to get them to win? Well, I, you know, what I like is I, I think they're in a pretty good starting spot, Jonathan. I really think that, um, you know, the guys they've drafted, people that they have. But I, I kind of like what Jim Boylan has done. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but I think he's worked on He's 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 tried to, the same way Toronto did under Dwayne Casey, the same way the Nets did under Kenny Anderson, Kenny Atkinson, the same way Atlanta's trying to do under Lloyd Pierce, establish uh, a foundation for a winning culture in that we are going to work hard. You are not, if we might lose because of talent, but you're not going to outwork us. And, and I think I, I like what Jim Boylan has done in that sense. And now I think it's up to Eversley, Karnasovas, the people in the front office to start putting the pieces together. And again, Mark Eversley comes from, you know, a culture where he's been around places that have suddenly become successful. So um, I, I think that's, I think that's the biggest challenge for him right now. Uh, in the front office, but um, you know, uh, hey, I look at Zach Levine as a guy, if you can harness him, maybe teach him a little bit like kind of like Michael Jonathan, where 
you don't have to score 50 for everybody to win. I, I Chuck Swirsky got on me last night because I, I sarcastically, and it doesn't translate in, 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 in writing, I sarcastically said the six words we never thought we'd hear. Jordan, get the ball to Paxson. <laughs> right and 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 if you can convince you get the right coach in there and you can convince Zach Levine you know as a, as a guy who I think could be a scoring champion in this league but if you can convince him to trust his teammates share the ball work together um, you know maybe you maybe you you know maybe you got something going there before you look to go in a different direction I think it's prudent now that they find out what they have more than anything else. I think that's the biggest challenge. I mean, you know, it's kind of like going in to clean out a garage. You don't throw everything out. You look at what you have first, save the good stuff, get rid of the bad stuff, and then start supplementing and augmenting to get better. Paul, I'm glad you spent some time with me here in Chicago. Looking forward to the Eversley era uh, for the Chicago Bulls. And uh, enjoy the rest of the last dance. Um, Hopefully you get some uh, other great footage uh, from behind the scenes. It looks fun. Yeah, we hope so, Jonathan. Great to be on with you, man. Take care. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Great to hear from Paul Jones, the brother of Mark Jones from ESPN, the analyst for the Toronto Raptors, giving us a perspective because there is something new in the Chicago Bulls organization, and something new will happen with the Blackhawks organization as well, as the Blackhawks fired president and CEO John McDonough today. That was came out of nowhere this afternoon, right before we get on the air. McDonough, who was uh, being replaced as an interim on an interim basis by Danny Wirtz. And he was named Blackhawks president in 2007 after 24 years with the Cubs and was their CEO since 2011. So Danny Wirtz will be replacing McDonough on an interim basis. Remember, the Blackhawks won three Stanley Cup championships under the McDonough tenure. You know, and also I want to point out, too, something that I think is very important. When John McDonough took over the job for the Blackhawks, I thought, okay, Clearly, John McDonough is not some hockey sage, but he is someone that knows business and knows marketing in a big way. And I had no problem with the choice for the Hawks to get John McDonough because here's someone here that can be able to illustrate leadership, direction, vision for a team, having a mission statement, uh, making sure that the Blackhawks are some kind of household name. Now, I think that during the championship run, I think the Hawks did a very good job of making sure that they had plenty of commercial time and that they were able to fill up the United Center. I mean, 531 consecutive home games sold out, right? That's a far cry from the Bill Wirtz administration. So I think the combination of Rocky Wirtz and John McDonough did a great job of bringing the Hawks back into the forefront. Now, the Blackhawks have never been the number one story as far as on a regular basis on what they're doing day in and day out. But they've always been a lingering story because they had uh, championship aspirations and they were able to win championships. 2010, 2013, 2015, the city was on, on tilt because the Blackhawks were able to win. And again, there's some that are like frustrated Blackhawks fans that wish that Blackhawks would have more coverage. And they've had a lot of coverage, uh, especially when you consider how many people are going to the game, sold out 531 times, and McDonough making sure 
there was home TV, making sure that it was fan-friendly, making sure that they were inviting celebrities to the hockey rink, to the United Center to be able to be part of the Blackhawks culture. It's one thing to win, but also you have to set that culture at the same time. And I think that just bringing in a, a, a Bowman and Stan and Scott Bowman being part of the organization, having John McDonough oversee the operation, Rocky Wirtz, it put a friendlier face on the organization. Some thoughts from Pat Boyle now from our staff here at ESPN 1000. His initial reaction on McDonough being fired. Well, it, it's surprising because of the timing of it. You know, one week into the pause, we uh, we heard from Rocky Wirtz, and he didn't mix words at all. He basically gave uh, Stan Bowman and John McDonough uh, encouragement that he, they were going to keep their jobs, that no no changes would be made in the front office. And he, he said it, you know, very positively and glowingly and kind of went and didn't step back and say, you know what, during this time of uh, a pandemic crisis, you know, we're focused on health and, and we'll reevaluate down the road. He went out and says, no, we like the direction. We like this. Things are even though, uh, you know, they hadn't made the playoffs the last two years and we're approaching a third straight. They still like the direction that the team was going. Well, what has changed here over the last six weeks um, in the statement that was released today? I think there's something in there that is is something that maybe we can look to as a possible reason. And it said that, you know, during the COVID-19 crisis and the league suspension, it gave the team an opportunity to reassess their future and to set a renewed positive direction. So maybe there was some disconnect there. Now, I know Danny Wirtz has been taking on a bigger role with this franchise over the last few years, um, and he is going to be the interim president. He is going to lead the search along with his dad, Rocky, and they will come to a decision on, on who the, the next voice will be to lead this team as a president. But, you know, that's the only thing I could think of that is possibly uh, that maybe as they reassess under these uncertain times, I mean, sports is going to be very different on the other side. One of the the few problems the Blackhawks had was attendance. Well, attendance is going to be different uh, when we return to sports. So maybe there was some sort of disconnect with the look and the take and the uh, the approach they were going to make, and maybe that was the reason or the catalyst for the change. But, you know, certainly John deserves a lot of credit for – what he's done over the last 13 years, the, we, we cited often, but I think it was a two, 2006 ESPN.com story that listed the Chicago Blackhawks as the worst franchise, not in the NHL, but in all of professional sports. And in short order, uh, they became the gold standard of the NHL. So some thoughts there from Pat Boyle, host of the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, as well as uh, him spending time with Waddle and Sylvie. Very interesting story. John McDonough fired uh, as a CEO of the Blackhawks. Coming up, we'll talk more about The Last Dance. What a documentary for the Chicago Bulls. Nick Friedel will join us. And will we have the NBA under the hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you're with us. What a terrific documentary The Last Dance is. We were able to see episodes three and four. If you don't, 
if you haven't seen that, man, uh, you've got to check that out on demand somewhere. Because uh, Nick Friedel joins us here, covers the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com, and he joins us here uh, on UCH. You have a standing appointment, sir, on Monday nights with me about The Last Dance, so I appreciate it. Always. You know I'm here for you. You know I'm here for you. I want to get your overall thoughts uh, about what you saw yesterday. What was some of the highlights of episodes three and four for you? <laughs> how about a Carmen Electra appearance? <laughs> how about Carmen Electra still looks good after like know, 30 years I, ago? I was like, all right, Carmen. <laughs> that is great. Uh, and and the, the random Vegas trip and... And they're just partying, and Michael's pissed, and Phil's kind of letting it happen, and then <laughs> you you see what's going on with Dennis, and then you go back to, to Phil Jackson's story, and you're seeing the dues he paid. I mean, we knew some of those stories, but some of the other ones... Uh, from where he came from, I, I have even more respect for Phil Jackson, not only because of the coaching job he did that season and, and with the Bulls in general, but uh, he earned the right to be there. And you and I have uh, have talked about this through the years, but you know, in sports, when, when somebody pays their dues on that kind of level and when you... Uh, when you have the success that you do, it makes it that much sweeter because a lot of people, especially in this bubble, in this industry, they just want to fast track everything, especially nowadays. But to get to that point after winning in New York with the Knicks the way he did, to go in those smaller leagues, to have success and then work his way up the ranks with the Bulls is impressive. Uh, shout out to whoever found the old footage of Phil in the short sleeves shirt, uh, in and God knows where he was in those small <laughs> burials, those small towns. Nick, I mean that that was un- a, a clean shaven Phil teaching on that level. That, that I mean, people uh, bombing cars or put, uh, setting the building on fire if the team. Lo- I mean, that's extreme stuff you dealt you dealt with, didn't he? That that is impressive. I mean, can you imagine? It just, you know, it was one of my bigger takeaways last night how much the game of basketball has changed in the last 20 plus years. Uh, it, it is crazy how much different uh, everything is now because you just would never see uh, a coach going through uh, that and then finding his way uh, to this point because. Everything's just different. You've got the G League. Uh, there's a hell of a lot more money in colleges now. Uh, that that video, not only did it make me respect Phil Jackson more, but I went, oh, boy, as the money changed uh, in in the basketball bubble uh, since then. So uh, it, 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 was, it was great footage. I didn't even know that whole story that he had gone down there. Uh, for a few years and, and the stuff he was dealing with while he was down there, it makes it that much more impressive that he was the guy leading that team at that time. That's just amazing. I'll, I'll also point this one other thing out about coaching. 
Well, that's 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 the first time ever on the record. Doug Collins said, "Yeah, I knew I was going to get fired. I could just I just yeah. knew it." Like, wow, how about that? I mean, yeah. I, like Doug said this before, like with Detroit and Philly, right? He's just that whole rant of it's a players' league. How come the players don't take this over? How come the players can't be can't listen and all this stuff? So I, I understand some of his later stops in the league. But that was the first time where he just directly right in the camera was like, yeah, I knew it was coming. Phil was going to be the head coach of this team. Oh, wow. He was right. He was being groomed in, in hoodie. Uh, to your point, I thought it was fascinating when the director, uh, I believe it was the director behind the scenes, behind the camera, there's a pause when Doug Collins is like, yeah, I, you know, I knew I knew I was probably gone. Phil was coming in. And they're like, how'd you know? And he's just like, I knew. <laughs> wow. And it's. It's a reminder that the coaches always have a better read uh, on things than you think. Coaches always can feel what's going on behind the scenes, uh, what's being said about them. Uh, There's always that extra uh, perceptiveness for so many of these guys because they've lived in the business for so long. And, And you're right. That was a very telling and interesting couple minutes there with Doug Collins. Hmm, that's interesting. Doug, Phil, uh, you know, uh, Krause bringing in after Phil, Tim Floyd, and then your guy, Fred Hoiberg, <laughs> uh, being, uh, stepping in for Tim. Funny how all that works, the Bulls organization, right? Where the heir apparent's already, already chosen because you, you knew about the Fred story while Thibodeau was in the job. And the same thing with these other stories before. Interesting symmetry there in his organization. Buddy, the parallels were striking last week after episodes one and two, and they were even more striking, especially at the end of episode four there. Because when that story came out, uh, and it was something else, I I knew the bare bones of how everything had gone down, but I believe our friend Fred Mitchell wrote that story that they were profiling at the end of last night's episode. And Freddie's talking to Kraus, and Kraus like, yeah, you know, if Michael, if Michael doesn't want to play under somebody that's not Phil Jackson, well, good luck to him, because he can go somewhere else. I mean, we'd like to have him, but he can go somewhere else. Can you imagine yeah. <laughs> that happened now? Not only that, but, you know, it's just... It, it's so striking to me, again, having lived through the Tibbs years and through most of those Hoiberg years and, and the end of, of Vinny, that last year of Vinny, how, how, how unbelievable the symmetry is because they knew that Vinny was going to get launched. There were reasons why. They knew that Tibbs was going to get launched and that Fred was going to be the guy. Uh, and then he was, and then early on in the Fred tenure, they knew that Fred wasn't the guy, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out uh, what they were going to do. And the only thing that kept Fred in place uh, those last couple of years was that contract. I mean, that contract was huge, and uh, by no means was Boylan the handpicked guy the same way that Hoiberg was for Tibbs. But the point was uh, that they were always looking for what was next because they knew what they had in the moment wasn't right. But it is, it's just stunning to me how Kraus needed that credit. Kraus had done such a good job building the roster and building that team, but he needed that extra credit that was never coming. And towards the end of that Tibbs reign, that was something that just bugged the hell out of Garham Pax. They thought that the players 
deserve more credit and that, that Tibbs was getting too much of it. And they thought by proxy that they deserve more credit because they were the ones picking the players. And to see it unfold 20-plus years ago now with Kraus and Phil and to think back to, to what I lived during those Tibbs years, it, it's, it's really interesting stuff from the same team. Nick Friedel covers the NBA for ESPN. Joining me, Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. There's not a general manager in today's NBA that has that much of a backing from ownership like Jerry Krause. Because that's the only reason why Krause could say things like that, because he knew that Jerry had his back. He knew that he knew that Reinsdorf had his back no matter what, and and this is goes back to just the the many many shows that you and I have done in the past about loyalty, loyalty to a fault, loyalty to blindness, loyalty no matter if you're going backwards and losing as an organization, no shows in the building, you're going to be loyal no matter what, and to me, um, you can't. That's not good business sense. It, it just isn't, and, and so. You know, for Kraus, and no, that's got to be eye-popping to many that didn't live through the years like I did. But, Nick, just the idea that, that Jerry Kraus will go to Fred Mitchell and just tell the press, like, yeah, you know what, Phil's going to be out in the middle of the season. Like, Phil, this is going to be the last time. And if Michael wants to go someplace, he can too. I mean, I mean that's just loyalty to a, a, a point of just being insane to me. Uh, that's just not good business. No, it's not, Hoodie. It's absolutely not. And when you go back in time and you <laughs> you think back to what what Krause did, it's it's stunning, frankly, uh, because not only would it not happen now, it, it should never have happened then. It should never have gotten to that point. But uh, your your point is spot on because if you're Jerry Krause, the reason you feel the need. Uh, in, and the ability to say what you say publicly is because you know that in that moment you're a made man. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything that's going to sway Jerry Reinsdorf to a point where he's going to go, all right, that's it. Uh, and, you know, there there's so many layers to this watching the documentary and there's so many things that we've seen over the years, but Hoodie, what always sticks out to me is how big and how much ego plays a part in the NBA. And there there are a million different examples, but you know, because I've I've watched the Bulls for so long uh, and and had all those moments that not only did we illustrate the the differences between Tibbs and Gar and Pax and the the need for ego there. What what about uh, Jimmy Jimmy Butler wants more of of the spotlight, more of the shine, and and basically comes in that that year after he signed the deal, and and he is saying, "Hey, this is my team." And uh, Joe Keem, and to a lesser extent, Derek are kind of like, "What? <laughs> we we have a hierarchy here," but Jimmy needed that ego to be fed. I mean that's that's reality, and, and it's, it happens all the time in the league. But what we're seeing uh, in this moment is how that need for ego and the need for power and the need to be told that you're the best and you you need the credit. That is a huge reason why uh, this '97 '98 Bulls team, the MJ Scotty Bulls, it's a huge reason why ultimately. Uh, they they got derailed in the end, and it kind of fell apart. 
Uh, Nick Friedel um, is the author of the new book, Ego, My Days with Gar and Pax, from Benny the Bull to Derek Rose, available in bookstores everywhere. <laughs> I can't wait for the book. It's going to be great when you write it. There are some there are some stories that are going to come out over time. <laughs> well, don't wait for like a, a documentary when everyone's gone. I think I think you need to put that book out there now while we're quarantined. I think that's a good opportunity to tell us. Hey, you and I live this too, though. I, I give everybody credit for this. It was never boring. No, <laughs> no matter what was going on, it was never boring. And there's always. There's always fault on all sides. I would never put any of it on on one person or two people because there was always there was always a, a lot of sides to the story. But man, that team has produced some some entertaining storylines through the years. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you're with us. What a terrific documentary The Last Dance is. We were able to see episodes three and four if you don't. If you haven't seen that, man, uh, you've got to check that out on demand somewhere. Because uh, Nick Friedel joins us here, covers the NBA for ESPN, ESPN.com, and he joins us here uh, on UCH. So the hope is is that there will be more entertainment for the Bulls, but on the floor more so than the front office with the hire of Mark Eversley. Coming from Philadelphia, worked with Nike and the Toronto Raptors in the past, and, and someone that um, is more than qualified for the position uh, as a general manager. He works with Karnaschovas. What stands out most about the combination of Eversley and Karnaschovas now that Eversley has the job? They've got a good reputation throughout the league. Uh, and they're, they're well regarded, which is going to help. But as, as soon as uh, I saw the Woj report late last night about Eversley, the first question in my mind was, and all right, how does he fit in? The first question was, okay, who's the coach? Who is the guy that the new group turns to and says, all right, you are going to lead the way day to day for this team? Because if the Bulls make all these changes and they're redoing the way they operate from a basketball perspective and they keep Jim Boylan, it's all a waste, frankly. You, you can't hit the reset button and still hang on to a part of your past. So I am very curious to see who the coach is and what the new uh, executive vice president and GM do to change up the roster. I mean, that's the next question here because your the reputations they can be great and and seemingly by all accounts both of these guys uh, are well regarded throughout the league, but. Now you got to really get to work, and you've got to change up the players that you have because it's not working. And this team seems to be a long way away from where they want to be and trying to contend again. So uh, I am really, really interested to see who the next coach becomes. Uh, and uh, I've always thought that Adrian Griffin would be the right man to lead this team in, in this city, especially in this moment. 
I'm curious to see if he gets more run here uh, in the next couple weeks. And I want to see how things change, the perception uh, of the team throughout the league in the next couple years, because that'll be crucial. For so long, you and I both know, the knock on this team, and it goes back to the Michael Scotty days, the knock on the team was that the Rhinestores didn't want to spend the money that they needed to year after year to put a winning product on the floor because they knew that the stands were going to be full no matter what. Hoodie, that's not the case anymore. Uh, the stands aren't full. People aren't showing up. The reputation has stayed the same. It's even worse now for uh, a lot of people that, that have been following the Bulls saying, hey, are they going to spend? Well, now they have the chance to reset that image and to rehabilitate the image to where they want it to be. Uh, and we're going to find out not only how the reputation of the new front office goes, we're going to find out if Mike Reinsdorf is going to not only back up a little bit as far as letting these guys run the show, but if he's going to dig into uh, the Bulls' coffers even more uh, to to spend the money that it's going to take on and off the floor to build up a better product. I've always said about the Rooney Rule in the NFL, and the same thing with any hiring of a minority candidate for a front office job, Nick, is that the, the Rooney Rule was put in place not to make sure that you accelerate more African Americans, Latinos, uh, et cetera, et cetera, to front office positions. Is to be able to get a foot in the door to have an interview, to sit down in front of the power brokers, the the people that make the decisions as a GM and, and owner. And so um, it, it's, it felt like business as usual for the Bulls early in the process. Because anytime that you're interviewing the Colangelos, the Wilcoxes of the world, um, the Danny Ferries, uh, just just sketchy, sketchy names that have been in that position as GM, I said, well, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you even talk to these people knowing their reputation in the past? Uh, you need to be able to find someone that you normally would not talk to and find out whether or not they can give you a different perspective on how to be able to generally manage a team or to be a uh, front office executive. And so Evers, the cho- choice of Eversley is smart because Eversley paid his dues as well. Ten years with Nike, working uh, to the bottom, to the middle, to the Raptors, working with the front office of the 76ers. Uh, a minority candidate, yes, and, and someone that's in a position. But also, it just makes sense because just like these other guys, Eversley does not have uh, the kind of uh, check marks uh, on his resume as some of the others that they interviewed. So good for him. No question, Hoodie. Uh, and, and I think that is crucial. Uh, not only to what you just outlined, but these guys are coming in with fresh eyes. <laughs> yeah. They are coming in with fresh eyes, which is what the Bulls so desperately have needed uh, for so long. And, uh, you know, Eversley and the couple people I've talked to, they've mentioned uh, that his background comes, uh, at least in the last few years, more in scouting, and, and that's good. Uh, but... The, the other question, as it is for any GM in the league, is how can you connect with players? Not only your own players, but how are you perceived by other players in the NBA? And that is going to be uh, something to watch uh, moving forward. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, like when you see what has happened to the Bulls in the last few years, it is... It is a really good thing that they have people that that 
really haven't been through uh, all, all and haven't gotten all those different check marks uh, in the league up to this point. You've got a fresh slate, uh, and for as hard as as Mike uh, on Mike Reinsdorf as I've been uh, over the years, I give him credit to uh, finally realizing that it was time to hit the button and give some new people a chance that have no connection previously to the Bulls. So I'm curious to see uh, what Eversley does uh, with the opportunity here. Uh, And uh, as always, you've got to find the right players to make it work. Uh, Changing the front office, that's a good first step. But if these guys can't come in and shuffle the roster and find better talent and develop that talent uh, in a better way than we've seen the last few years, uh, the story is going to be the same for this team. Lastly, Nick, the story from Adrian Wojnarowski was just kind of uh, shoehorned in there on the 25th of April during everything with the NFL draft. Just kind of just popped up. Um, so uh, for those that are not aware, the NBA's decision on opening practice facilities to players in markets where governments may be loosening stay-at-home orders doesn't mean a resumption of the league is imminent. The NBA is still unsure on if or when they can play again, but getting players safely into gyms was our priority. And again, that was a story came from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski. Again, this begins on May 1st, how the NBA is allowing teams to open their practice facilities to players in cities and states where local governments have seized those stay-at-home orders. So, Nick, that's just looking at the news, just off the top of my head, that's that's Florida, that's Tennessee, Georgia. Uh, and Georgia off the top of my head. Yeah, so, what, so when that story came across, what was going through your mind? Well, when that story came across, many of the same people <laughs> that were optimistic around the league that the season could continue uh, were texting me going, see, it's coming. It's only a matter of time. And the same people that were like, there's no way in hell that this season can continue given the circumstances all across the country and the world were like, this is nothing. So the point is, it was all a matter of perspective. I think it's a, a good step uh, in the moment for teams in those cities. Like if you're the Atlanta Hawks and you can provide a safe uh, working environment for your players, for your employees, then why not open up the gym again and allow that? But I mean, Hoodie, I, I live in San Francisco now. I walk down the street and, uh, you know, pretty much most of these people have masks on and everybody's still concerned if, if somebody has the sniffles. So I, it's just. It's just about where you are in the world, uh, and I still I did when I saw that report from Woj. I didn't take it as anything other than okay, that's nice for a few cities that aren't affected in the moment. But I didn't I did not take the leap that uh, that in a couple months the NBA is going to be back because they've made uh, this known. And, and Woj said as much in in a couple other uh, tweets. But the reality is. I think the NBA is still a long way from being back, at least uh, in playing games. And and it would still really, really surprise me if games were played again this season. If you are, here's something from Uncle Nick and Uncle Hood. Here you go. If you are a bad shooter, learn how to be a great rebounder and defender. You could last in the league. Look at Rodman. <laughs> all those how games. About, all, Woody, how about that story? Yeah. That story he told was unbelievable. He's taking his friends to the gym at 3, 4 in the morning, and he's saying, hey, just shoot it. I have to learn the angles. You know, I, it, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because quickly, I thought that was so cool 
because so many people see Dennis Rodman's image and they think this guy's just kind of floating through life. He's not putting in the work to be a great basketball player. But you realize watching that and seeing where he came from is the amount of time he invested to be as great as he was. And he did some weird stuff off the floor, okay? But when he came to play, he never missed a beat. And MJ said as much last night. And I thought that was really, really fascinating. So in other words, you and I are the Dennis Rodman of ESPN. (laughs) (laughs) 